Time for us to begin our midday program here on a Wednesday. Hope you're doing well out there. Another nice day here for the first part of October. We've been very, very lucky with that. We'll be talking to Paul Perkins in about 15 minutes to get more. But first, we preview our midday program with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan, Clay Pat, myself, Susan Littlefield, all in here to get us prepared and ready to go. Let's start it out with Susan. Susan? Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Brandon will kick everything off at 1219 as he talks with Aaron Howard, Transportation Safety Manager for the Nebraska Safety Center at UNK about their driver's education course that is offered throughout the state. Coming in then at 1245, we'll hear from Alex as she talks with Cheryl Dunn describing how hands-on courses are being taught. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as we talk grain markets and the fluctuations we've seen lately with Dan O'Brien, a professor at Kansas State University. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. Let's turn it over to sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Uh, we're going to get the thoughts of one of the Nebraska defensive coaches, his thoughts on what he's seen out of the Nebraska offense so far when they've gone ones-on-one, worked out a little bit here in preseason camp. Of course, you might see a few wrinkles in the Nebraska offense, although it's not going to be a whole lot different. And at the end of the day, Scott Frost you know, pretty much calls the plays, but right. they do have a new offensive coordinator. and. Matt Lubick, so things could look a little different. Uh, also, uh, some news to pass along. You know, we've kind of become accustomed to this this year. When we get to Wednesday and Thursday, we start hearing about news some games yep. not happening, but uh, no football or volleyball coming up on Friday between Cambridge and Highline. So, uh, second straight week, Cambridge is dealing with that. Sign of the times. Well, it, and I said it, at least it's it's sort of convenient that they're playing each other in volleyball and in football. No other schools get involved that way. So it's where we're at. Twenty twenty. Keep pressing on. We see it in the NFL right now. You know, a lot of guys popping there too, and uh, a lot of COVID issues now in the NFL because one of the Patriots now came down with Another it, one, and yep. he was pretty close talking to. Patrick Mahomes uh, the other night, although he's a superhero, so he <laughs> probably fight that off like he will. Defenses in the NFL. Uh, uh, that's crazy. Baseball playoffs continued last night, too. Not such a good day for my Padres, but uh, or the Yankees, for that matter. Four more games, and kind of looks like you can put a fork in the heat uh, down to the Lakers, three games to one. Man, not good to be shorthanded to LeBron and crew uh, to start no. with. And so, all right, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan, who's back in here again to talk some business. Dow Jones is uh, well. Dow Jones, Nasdaq, and S and P all up right now. Bob, stocks are recovering after the president appeared to backtrack on his decision to halt talks with uh, congressional Democrats on another rescue effort for the economy. Also, a Swiss pharmaceutical firm says problems at a U.K. warehouse are delaying shipments of testing products to clinics and hospitals. Eli Lilly and Company says it has, uh, it has asked the U.S. government to allow emergency use of an experimental antibody therapy. Those stories and more coming up 
in the business world. All right, all kinds of stuff coming our way here for midday, and we will continue our midday and slide it on over to Clay Patton. Good afternoon. Good morning to you, Clay. Uh, good morning, Zill. Just ahead of the noon hour as we go now to Mike Zuzel with Global Commodity Analytics to dive deeper into the day's trade and what's going on. And, Mike, when I take a look here, I'm excited to see the fact that we see Chicago and Kansas City both percentage-wise and cent-wise the leader to the top side here today. This kind of reminds me of that midsummer rally where wheat had to be the leader to try and lift these other grains. Well, yeah, and we also have that wheat hitting a fresh five-year high, and we can't say that for the corn or the soybeans. And so the wheat has done what it's supposed to do, what it typically does based upon the analysis I've done over the years, Clay, and that is lead the show in terms of whether it's a leader to the upside or the leader to the downside. And it's probably indicative also of a very heavy, long, net long position the funds have built up during this reflationary trade that we've seen really ever since the end of July, maybe even since the middle of July. And so now mid-session, we've priced in the Chinese purchases uh, of soybeans during Golden Week. That was being talked about yesterday, confirmed by USDA this morning. Uh, We also see ethanol starting to give way and go negative on the day with the energy complex energy complex starting to feel pressure from no stimulus again. So we've baked in some premium at this point, and we're starting to see, I think, probably some hedge pressure come in here midday, led by the beans, followed by the corn. I wonder what the wheat will do because the midday updates for the GFS continue to show next to no rain for the hard red wheat belt for the next 10 to 15 days. And talking one more micro round, we go into that soybean complex, and that's one where we've seen over the last couple of weeks just strong upward movement. But we've got to be starting to see some overbought signals and some oscillators that maybe want to turn this down just for some more corrective, if not necessarily a downtrend. Yeah, and we're also up to those levels we haven't seen since March or April of 2018. And, you know, you get up to around 1060, 1070 area. That's those highs from those two months. And so you really are at price levels you haven't seen in a couple years. And we really probably still do have around a 400 or 375 million bushel carryover. And my price model suggests that maybe the trade's even coming in a little bit underneath that for what they're factoring in based upon going almost to 1060 in November futures today. Switch gears, we go to the livestock trade now. That's where live cattle, they start out lower, they get hammered right off the bat, but then they're able to come back here at the midday session. There's still some bullish traders in there, but if they can't get over those nearby highs that seem to be points of resistance, when do we exhaust that buyer pool? Well, and especially given the fact that the the Fed Cattle Exchange did post some 108-plus sales of both steers and heifers in uh, Texas today. So you have the fundamentals underneath you in the cash market. You have the nearby technicals uh, underneath you, the momentum underneath you. But notice that the feeder cattle continue to pull on the fat cattle market. And caught in the middle also because of of the hogs, and that pork and bean trade, the fat cattle are really watching the hog sector as well. So I think cattle, for the most part, are following hogs and feeders and playing it in between the middle right now. As we go with traders or folks that are considering risk analysis right now, you sent out a very informative newsletter last night. Is there still some relativeness to that if they go ahead and get signed up for that two-week free trial to be able to see that type of information? Oh, I think so, Clay, from a standpoint of a lot of it dealt with Friday's crop report and how to handle this market as best you can, knowing what we know and knowing what we don't know heading into the election. That's really what I'm laying out at this stage, and I think it can help in in terms of giving you some more uh, ammunition for the gun in in terms of being able to understand where these markets are probably going to shake out based upon what may happen. 
And you can get your free trial of that newsletter at globalcomresearch.com. Remember, two M's in globalcomresearch.com. But uh, do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors, so do consider these risks before investing. If you want to re-listen and recap Mike's commentary today, catch us at a podcast at Rural Radio or krvn.com. Time for us to check in on our weather and see how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Scott Foster here along with Paul Perkins joining us. We were just talking about why you'd want to live in Louisiana yeah, as another hurricane coming coming its way. Hurricane Delta Category 4, right? Exactly. Uh, and that's after a, a Category 4 already back in last month, in, yeah. or in August, actually. Not last month, but in August. So, in the yeah. same area. Same area. Yeah. So it's just nutso. But uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, here. No rain here. No rain. Not a, not a drop yeah. right now. We Ex- are just dry. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe early next week, uh, chances are starting to improve a little bit, but it's not going to be a big organized rainmaker since it's not something coming out of the desert southwest of the four corners, uh, something that's going to be crossing the northern plains. So probably get just a brushing a brushing of some rain across the area, but right now it doesn't look too promising as far as any uh, significant rainfall totals, but at least maybe something to settle to the dust for a few days. All right. Well, well I guess, you know what, we're going to take what we can take. Thank exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, it's been very good for harvest across the area. The warm and dry conditions continuing. Right now we have temperatures for the most part in Nebraska, low to mid-70s. As you head into northern Kansas and northeast Colorado, those temperatures mostly in the upper 70s. We are as warm as 82 already in the Oakley, Kansas area of western Kansas. Temperatures are as cool as some upper 50s in the northwest Nebraska panhandle. And oddly enough, McCook currently uh, with some hazy conditions, that's probably holding down those temperatures. Uh, Currently, uh, McCook at last check within the last half hour had a temperature of 60. A dry cold front will turn our winds around to the northeast today. It's a front dropping in from the northeast. In behind that front, our humidity expected to dip below 20% in some areas. Wind speeds, though, should stay low enough to prevent any critical fire weather conditions to develop. A ridge of fire pressure will continue our dry weather and temperatures that are 15 to 20 degrees warmer than usual for today all the way through Friday. It looks like Friday going to be the warmest of the next seven days. A smoky haze from the wildfires in Wyoming and Colorado may be a little more noticeable today, especially as you head towards western and southwestern areas. Winds will increase and turn back more to the south for tomorrow as that cold front that moved through today lifts back to the north as a warm front. This weekend, not going to be quite as warm, but it'll still be about 10 degrees warmer than average in behind the passing of a cold front. Some rain and thunderstorms are then possible by Sunday night into Monday with another cold front dropping in from the north and some low pressure that will track from southwest into northeast Kansas. Now, there is a change in our long-term forecast for temperatures. Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. now likely to see seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures from Monday through October 20th. So seasonal to slightly cooler than normal, mostly seasonal. Now for a reference point, highs in mid-October for central Nebraska usually average in the mid to upper 60s with average overnight lows in the upper 30s. The outlook for Nebraska starts out with near normal to slightly above normal rainfall the early half of next week. By late next week, though, it dries out. Late next week through the 20th, below normal 
rainfall expected in Nebraska. Kansas likely to have below normal rainfall the entire time of Monday through October 20th. Key weather factors affecting the markets include a delayed start to soybean planting in Brazil and precipitation extremes in European and Russian wheat regions. Hurricane Delta forecast to charge northward towards the central Gulf Coast. Landfall expected in uh, Louisiana on Friday. It's possible that Delta could affect parts of southwest Louisiana that are still recovering from Category 4 Hurricane Laura. Mild and dry weather will prevail the next few days across much of the plains and Midwest. Rain from the remnants of Hurricane Delta may spread as far north as the Ohio Valley. Any locally heavy rain in the Ohio Valley will lead to harvest disruption. Otherwise, the dry conditions across the Midwest and plains the rest of the week will favor row crop harvest. Central Brazil's rain chances increase the next seven days. After a two-week delay, this could be the start of the rainy season and encourage active soybean planting. Central Brazil, though, will be dry and very hot just ahead of that rainfall. In Europe, additional heavy rain the rest of the week will add to soggy soils and damage to the newly planted winter wheat crop. Some acreage loss is possible. Major Russian wheat areas will stay mostly dry this next week. In the last 60 days, the Black Sea region has had no more than 20% of its normal rainfall. Well, you know, looking at looking at yards and stuff like that, I mean, things are getting, things are really drying up there. And so then you have to make the decision, all right, it's fall, you know, <laughs> it's going dorm, d- dormant, do we water or not? I mean, it is. I, I put a sprinkler on yesterday. It was one of those that you put into the ground, you uh-huh. know, and it was hard to get down. Yeah, I mean, a little was, hard there, yeah. <sighs> now, on the flip side, we are looking at... A, Probably a very beautiful fall because uh, we're not going to see uh, freezing temperatures. Maybe some freezing uh, temperatures getting to near freezing by the middle part of next week. But, you know, over the next week or two, uh, very beautiful weather and really not too much of a cold blast to get rid of the leaves. So it's going to be a beautiful fall this year. All right. Already is. We'll take it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Where do you go to check in on your weather, Paul? WeatherTap, KRVN.com. District. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, and we're talking with Aaron Howard, the Transportation Safety Manager at the Nebraska Safety Center, located on the campus at the University of Nebraska Kearney. Aaron, you have driver education classes once again forming for the fall 2020 semester, and I would imagine it presents its own level of difficulties here in the middle of a global pandemic. It also has allowed us to expand our program, and in May we began to offer an online driver education program, and that consists of them doing the classroom portion online, and it just gives students, their parents, that flexibility to do it at their own pace. And since May when we started that, we've had over 200 students take advantage of that program. Aaron, tell us more about this online driver education program. How can you teach someone how to drive while doing it over the Internet? The online program, it utilizes the same curriculum through AAA, which is taught in our in-person classes. It's around 24 to 30 hours of coursework, and they designed this program to engage teens while teaching them driving skills and safety tips. Some of the course materials include videos, driving simulations, interactive exercises and quizzes to continue to engage those students. Each student has six months to complete the online program while they work at their own pace. Once they complete the online portion, they then will do in-person driving with us, and they will have five hours of behind the wheel. And for those times, we offer them in multiple areas. The areas that we offer those driving instruction in would be Ainsworth, Broken Bow, Shadron, Franklin, Grand Island, Hastings, 
Holdridge, Kearney, North Platte, Ogallala, and Utica. So there's a variety of options that the student could get to to complete that behind the wheel portion of the class. And with that, the Safety Center will provide vehicles at each location, so that's not something you have to bring. We will provide that for the student. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, and we're talking with Aaron Howard, the Transportation Safety Manager at the Nebraska Safety Center. Aaron, you've got two unique facilities. One is the Cope Driving Range there in Kearney, and also you've got a new Lincoln class that you've recently opened. Tell us about both of these unique facilities our driving range that's located in Kearney. It's the only one in the state and one of the only three in the region, and it's a full-size driving range available for training. We use that driving range facility throughout many programs, driver education, all rural transit drivers come to our facility for training, and also motorcycle instruction. The driver education utilizes the range for an experience that a student wouldn't get anywhere else. It allows them to go through exercises without being out on the roadway. On this controlled environment, they'll do parallel parking, entering and exiting an interstate, and much, much more. It just allows them to gain that confidence at lower speed and lower traffic. And a few other neat things that we do at our driving range, we will be training in October any new motorcycle instructor for the entire state. They'll be doing their training at our facility. And then also we offer motorcycle throughout the summer months for anyone looking to become a motorcycle rider. And we opened up an office in Lincoln in 2016. It's a great facility located on Innovation Campus, and we're excited to be part of that area. But with that, we also are now offering driver education classes through that facility in Lincoln. It's a great new facility for students, so it's a great opportunity for anyone in Lincoln, Lincoln area, for another offering for driver education. And if they're looking for information on that Lincoln class, it's available with all our other driver education classes, and that's at unk.edu slash dred. That was Aaron Howard, Transportation Safety Manager at the Nebraska Safety Center, talking about the driver education classes across the state of Nebraska. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. have reached that time of the day. It's midday sports update. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in. and Well, Jason, we'll hear more from Lincoln as the Husker football team is only a couple weeks out. Yeah, it seems a little more like uh, normal. The Huskers continue to go through fall camp. Last week, they were able to move into full pads for scrimmaging for the first time in a long time. Linebackers coach Barrett Rood was asked this week what it's been like working against a Nebraska offense. You know, we talked about the quarterbacks. Luke and Adrian have both been uh, really sharp. Uh, not only uh, throwing the ball, but with decision makings, pulling the ball in the run game too. You know, I think they're executing. Uh, it's always been a very versatile offense, um, but I think it's becoming a little bit more precise as well. Um, and I think they're uh, really uh, getting good at their core plays that they're going to hang their hat on this year. The Husker offense figures to have a few new wrinkles under new offense coordinator Matt Lubick. Huskers begin the season on October 24th at Ohio State. We'll see. That that new offense will be tested week one. I think it's good that they mix it up. Got a new coordinator in there. Obviously, things were working the last couple of years, so I think it was right to bring in a different guy and, you know, see what happens with uh, with this offense. Yep. Wisconsin quarterback Jack Cohen is out indefinitely after having surgery on his right foot. School officials made that announcement yesterday. He injured the foot in practice on Saturday in a non-contact drill. Cohen's surgery means that redshirt freshman Graham Mertz is the most likely candidate to open up the season as a Badger starting quarterback. 
they will begin things on the 24th against Illinois. Now, of course, Nebraska plays Wisconsin early on in the year. Don't get too excited about this because they were very excited when they landed Mertz. He he was one of their top targets a couple years ago. Listen, they know how to coach quarterbacks. Yeah. They know what they're doing there in Wisconsin. This is still not going to be an easy task, as you mentioned. No, they're just going to line up and try to run the football right. and uh, you know right. pass on their terms. Officials with the National Congress of State Games announced the 2020 Athletes of the Year, and Kevin Heffley of Eustis has been named one of the national winners. Of course, he's a medal-winning Parapolean for the Team USA, hailing from Nebraska. At this summer's Cornerstone State Games, he comfortably won his age group in the 100- and 200-meter dashes. And for Team USA, he also has won gold in the 100-meter and silver in the 200-meter races at the games held uh, down in South America a while back. So a well-deserved honor for yeah, Kevin. Good for Kevin. It just keeps rolling yeah. in for him, and, and uh, really inspiring as well. Uh, busy day of Major League Baseball again, starting up in a little bit. Miami against Atlanta. Houston then takes on Oakland. Then tonight, Tampa Bay against New York and San Diego against the Dodgers. And the COVID issues continue for the NFL. Tennessee will not be returning to the team's facility after two more players tested positive. Also, one of the Patriots starters, uh, Stephen Gilmore, tested positive. He'd been kind of in proximity with Patrick Mahomes the other night, mm-hmm. so all of Chief Nation is uh, fired up <laughs> worried about that. And no varsity volleyball or football this week between Cambridge and Highline due to continued COVID issues at Cambridge. And also just found out that uh, York Northwest football also not going to be playing on Friday. We just keep our fingers crossed here at KRVN. Everything we've scheduled at this point is has been pulled off, but that could change at any time. How we've gotten so lucky, <laughs> I, I do not know. I don't know. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. All right, thank you very much. Central District Health Department is asking the communities in their district to either fill out a screening questionnaire or call their office at 308-696-1201. The questionnaire is for those who have visited the Eagles Club number 2839 at 620 N Chestnut Street in North Platte on September 25th or 26th. Those who were at the Eagles Club on those days are potentially at risk for exposure to COVID-19. Contract tracing is a vital tool used by the public health departments to contain the spread of the disease. The health districts ask people to wear a facial covering to protect your family, friends, and neighbors when out in public areas. In other news for the COVID-19, 25 new cases were reported by Two Rivers Public Health Department in the seven-county region it serves for Tuesday, October 6th. New confirmed cases for Tuesday include Buffalo County 11, Dawson County 2, Kearney 3, Franklin 2, Phelps 5, and Gosper 2. Two Rivers officials say COVID-19 is still circulating in the district and they recommend continued actions to prevent the spread of any illness such as know how it spreads, wash your hands often, avoid close contact. Cover your mouth and nose with a cloth face cover when around others cover your cough and sneeze with a tissue or your sleeve. Clean and disinfect, monitor your overall health, and specifically monitor for signs and symptoms of COVID-19 and stay home if you have symptoms or are awaiting test results. Menards investigator David Bulgren was one of the witnesses called to the stand on Tuesday in the Bailey Boswell murder trial. Bulgren says Menards received a subpoena to provide surveillance video for November 15, 2017, the day Sidney Loof disappeared. 
He says the video Menards provided showed one of the defendants in Luth's disappearance enter the store that day. Uh, you see an individual entering the store and an individual appearing to exit the store. And who are these two? Have you identified, been identified who these two individuals are? Uh, the individual exiting the store appears to be Sidney Luth, and the individual entering the store appears to be Aubrey Trail. Do you know where Ms. Luth was headed right here at this point? Yes. And where was she headed? To the guard shack. Okay, and I think we've had previous testimony there's a guard shack on the south end of the building where people can come in and go into the lumber yard? Yes. Loof ended her shift around 6 p.m. that day. That evening, she had a date with Bailey Boswell and turned up missing the next day, touching off a massive search that resulted in the arrest of Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail on November 30, 2017. Boswell and Trail were charged with first-degree murder. Loof's dismembered body was found in rural Clay County on December 4 and 5, 2017. You can find more news at krvn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. Although many college classes have gone completely virtual this semester, one UNL instructor is finding new ways to teach her students. Today we're joined on the phone by Cheryl Dunn. She's a research manager and herbarium curator in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us. You've been teaching a Wildland Plants ID course for a number of years, and this semester it's gone virtual. So tell us how you've prepared to teach a virtual class that's really intended to be hands-on. Yeah, you know, it was really a whole summer in the making um, because I saw kind of the, you know, what was ahead, and I knew um, the level of work that it would take to to sanitize everything in the fall to make it safe for students because that's what UNL wanted. They wanted students to be as safe as possible. And so, so it was really the summer of, um, of a lot of thought. And um, each week we had teaching meetings in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture with our teaching staff. And so we would throw ideas with, out with each other and learn new programs. Um, so that was really beneficial. And then I got a hold of um, some colleagues in Idaho and New Mexico and down in Kansas to really, again, start brainstorming how best to proceed with the kind of courses that we teach. Um, and then at the end of July, I got the opportunity to do a virtual botany conference. And so I got to sit with, um, you know, 60-plus colleagues you know, in a Zoom conference and, and discuss what projects we could do and activities we could do in our classrooms. And so that was super helpful, too. So, so really, again, months of thought and finally deciding, you know, what exactly um, I needed to do for my students. And that was having a combination of photographs of plants and also actual grass specimens. So I made them plant packets grass packets that they could take home and have, and, and then they needed specific equipment in order to be able to magnify, you know, plant parts to see them. And on top of all that, I, getting them outside was, was, in my own mind, really paramount. And so we do observations outside for that very purpose. So, Cheryl, you kind of previewed it a little bit, but give us an idea of what this course typically looks like? Well, usually, you know, we're in the classroom the majority of the time. And so there are times we take walks um, on campus and around campus to look at different plants around. But, you know, for the 
most part, we, we stay inside. We work with microscopes. We pass plant specimens. I'm looking in their microscope. They're looking in mine. You know, we're, we're really together in that way. And so I've still allowed students to have some of that same component, but then twice as much outside than, than what we've done in the past. We're visiting with Cheryl Dunn. She's a research manager and herbarium curator in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture at UNL. Cheryl, maybe some students have experience with this lab equipment and maybe they don't, but overall, how would you say students have responded to you teaching that sort of thing virtually? Well, that's that's a really good question. So, um, you know, what's really been great is I've been able to, um, the University of Alaska Um, is where I got a lot of my ideas for magnification, whether it's a micro lens on a a phone or it's the Optivisor. And the Optivisor is primarily used for jewelers, you know, looking at jewelry. Um, But it does exactly what I need it to do. And so there were videos from Alaska that taught me how, essentially, how to teach my students how to utilize these. So the students could kind of pick what they wanted to do. But but we kind of learn together, you know, through some of this stuff because while I have the chance to, to try things out in the summer, you know, the students really pick up on, okay, is this working for me? Is this not working for me? Okay, I need more lighting. So they really, and gosh, our students are so intelligent that um, they've really picked up and, and run with it. And they're actually almost excelling more in the virtual space than they even than I've seen in person. And I and again I think it speaks to the quality of students I have too. I always have really good students, but this year they're really they're really hitting it out of the park. And I don't you know, I've heard from several of them, you know, virtual classes are not their favorite. This is not where they want to be. These are, you know, wildlife biology majors. These are animal science majors. These are students that want to be outside um, and and doing stuff like that. But they've They've really adapted to it. So, Cheryl, I've heard from a lot of students taking courses this semester that basically they're in an endless cycle of seeing their deadline, getting their assignments in before the deadline, and then waiting for their next assignment. And the process just continues. But this course is different because it's very hands-on. So I'm curious that at the end of the semester, what do you hope these students are taking away? You know, we always we always have our student learning outcomes, right, where it's, um, and my one of my student learning outcomes is to you know to be proficient in plant identification, obviously. And I think they'll walk away with that. I think they'll walk away with the appreciation of it. But um, I was I was telling students yesterday that I came to UNL 12 years ago, and people would bring me you know physical plants to identify. And now most of my identification for for folks are it's through photographs. And so without really realizing it until I started teaching this class, I'm giving them a skill that I normally would not be giving them if we were in the classroom. They can now see photographs of plants, of grasses in particular, and, and realize what they need to be looking at in order to identify it. They know what photographs they need to ask for in order to identify it, or they know what photographs to take to send to somebody like myself to identify it. And so, so I think that, um, you know, that's a really fantastic takeaway through all of this, too.
All right. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Cheryl Dunn joining us. She's a research manager and herbarium curator at UNL. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Bureau. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Rogan. Stocks are recovering after President Donald Trump appeared to backtrack on his decision to halt talks with congressional Democrats on another rescue effort for the economy. Trump sent a series of tweets saying he's open to standalone measures that would send $1,200 stimulus payments to Americans, as well as limited programs to help airlines and small businesses. The S&P 500 rose 1.3% in opening minutes, Airlines and other stocks that most need the economy to strengthen lead the way. Eli Lilly and Company says it has asked the U.S. government to allow emergency use of an experimental antibody therapy. That's based on early results from a study suggesting the drug reduced symptoms, the amount of virus, hospitalizations, and ER visits for patients with mild or moderate COVID-19. The company announced the partial results today in a news release. They have not yet been published or reviewed by independent scientists. The drug is similar to one President Donald Trump received on Friday from a different company. Swiss pharmaceutical firm Roche says problems at a U.K. warehouse are delaying shipments of testing products to clinics and hospitals. The news has triggered concerns that COVID-19 testing may be disrupted as infection rates rise around Britain. Roche informed doctors about the problems at its U.K. distribution center in southern England in a letter that advised customers to prioritize essential services only. Roche said the problem arose after it moved to a new automatic warehouse in September. It says it is prioritizing the dispatch of COVID-19 tests, but the glitch could affect materials needed to conduct blood tests and screening for diseases, including diabetes and cancer. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. We've seen a lot of fluctuations in the market that will continue in the coming weeks. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, during the Kansas State University's Ag Lenders Conference, I caught up with Dr. Dan O'Brien. He is a professor through the Department of Ag Economics as we talked about the fluctuations that we'll continue to see in the market. I think I don't see how it's avoidable, really. Uh, it, if, uh, if nothing else, it's the uh, it has to do with the uh, the attitude of the populace you, you know in, in that that we're we're not inclined now to to just assume things will work out we're we're pretty reactive on things and and that that has come over into the into the markets and, and so we get just a few numbers in the markets and then have expectations move things all over the place and then we get a few more numbers oh then we then we move there so you've got a, a lot of a lot of uh to to the degree we to the degree we can we have hard numbers to, to the degree we don't we have our sentiments and and fears and optimisms and right and the fears are kind of winning right now at least they they have been uh, here of late now again we've seen things move to the higher side there are the problems in production in China with uh, again uh, months and months and months of of excess moisture from different you know rainfall coming here there where whatever and you see uh, China coming into the market 
almost every day to buy something. That's a, that's a big deal and uh, t- tends to keep the this spiritedness of the of the market going forth. We didn't have a chance to talk about it today, but uh, basis levels in some parts of Kansas for corn are really really strong. Western part in particular uh, for soybeans, uh, very also pretty strong for for grain sorghum out of sight. <laughs> you know, because again, they're based off of grain sorghum. Cash prices are based off of corn futures, and they've been pretty strong as we talked about today in most in in different areas. Strong out in Garden City uh, at the feeding area where we're not doing a lot of feeding now, but particularly strong in the central part of the state where we're pretty pretty much export oriented for a lot of use there. So sorghum's having a, having its day in terms of uh, of a positive limelight, and which is just so polar opposite of where we were when. When China, as a first cut in this trade discussion we've had the last one or two years, cut cut uh, grain sorghum exports, grain sorghum purchases, so uh, just uh, uh, it's uh, it, it's a I, I guess it's a black and white volatile situation. It's either good or not in terms of uh, of whether China is predominantly coming after sorghum exports uh, from the U.S. or not, and it's a great thing for sorghum producers when they are. And producers has been all these sales from China. At one point, they're going to shut that switch off, and they won't be there. Well, that's what we've seen the last one or two years. It was we were going great last three, three or so years, three or four, doing tremendous, and then nothing, and now going strong again. And, and uh, you wonder where we would be in in the in the both in grain sorghum purchases and other commodities and. Uh, and g- given all the geopolitical discussions and tensions that, that are going on, where, where would the uh, U.S.-China relationship relations be if it weren't for China's strong demand for ag, ag products right now? They're, well, their demand is a polite word for need. They really need them. My conversation with Dan O'Brien. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, across the board here, even though we settled a little bit off their highs, a pretty strong day once again here in the grains. Is this continuing to be poised off dry weather or are we actually seeing money flow back over in the commodities because this thing is on fire and just doesn't seem to want to correct even when it shows overbought signals? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, um, you know, the market, when it's slow, it's sideways. And when, when it's you know, when the volume comes in, it's, it's going up. Um, boy, I mean, it's, it sounds sounds so so simple, but uh, you know, I think you kind of watch those forecasts, um, and when you start to see that uh, you know wheat gets rain, I think that'll lead us lower uh, on the feed grain side, and uh, on the bean side, it'll be about Brazil and kind of what the China buying pace is once we get past the election, because that that's where the window is. Where there's some uncertainty about what crops going to be available in Brazil. So, you know, this is when when we get uncertain and this price goes up, typically, and uh, certainly have some opportunities here. The one thing I'm, I'm, you know, focused on is, like, looking at next year's crops and the crops after that. And, you know, if you look out at the deferred contracts in soybeans, um, you know, you could make a case that, you know, with new crop 2022 soybeans, which is way out there, that's still trading at $9 on the button, that, you know, the market has some new supply factored in here. So maybe in the near term, this thing will run out of steam. 
So if back markets start to move, then maybe there's there's something that that's there. And when you're talking about those bank market, that comes to a lot of carry right now that we see in these markets. And is there any market that truly is positive in the carry, or is it all more towards a cash market of things are short, let's move things now? No, no. So in in the actually in the corn side, you have a pretty decent carry between now and uh, May. You know, May and July kind of even out, and then we get cheaper once September and December roll around. So, um, you know, again. I, it's hard to recommend trades like that, but if you if you want to try something new and, and you use the board, I mean, back spreading these options, these futures isn't a bad way to play it because you do own another crop here. So if things would change, then at least you are along somewhere. Um, but that that's a that's a tricky proposition. It's more you know more of a speculative play if you're going to try that. Again, we're talking with John Payton, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You can learn more at John's website. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com. You can also sign up for John's newsletter and informative video he sends out every morning. I do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Going to close mostly in the green here. Wheat, of course, the leader to the top side of the day. Drying conditions in the U.S. hard red winter wheat belt, Russia, and a friendly U.S. U.S. dollar helping to move it higher. Soybeans sell off in the deferred but hold their gains there in the front month November and January contracts. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can go back and listen to the Midday podcast. Sponsored by Devaney Motors, that is available on krvn.com or on iTunes.